Good morning, my friends. This is the last Sunday in this Lenten season. The five weeks are coming to an end. This 40-day journey that we're go- we went into, we're right into that liminal space of our existence. And we've been focusing a lot within our own hearts, yeah, through various uh, practices and a renewal and repentance, right? That's how we began Ash Wednesday. If you were here on our, at, our, at our Ash Wednesday service just about five or six weeks ago, uh, we acknowledged that we only see God-given divine reality as through a mirror. Yeah, we read that even last week from Paul, right? We only can see that mirror that reflects our our, our own self, our own soul, our own ethos, our own ego. And so Lent then is a, a yearly invitation towards a repentant heart, uh, one that can lead us into noticing divine reality. Again, as Paul said last week, in the whole of all things. Repentance simply is changing our minds. Yeah, we talk about this often. Um, it's changing our minds uh, after learning or experiencing something new. And last week, we explored St. Paul's call to repentance for us to change our mind on how we think about love, yeah? That's where we went last week with our transcendent love. Uh, For us to change our mind concerning the kind of love, yeah? The kind of love that we ought to have for one another. And we talked about that agape, divine, transcendent love. And so today we're going to continue into that theme and we're going to reflect again on this agape type of love. We're going to do it this morning looking through the lens of Christ and his invitation for us also to repent, to change our minds now on who it is that deserves the focus of our transcendent love. So last week we did the what, we defined what love was. Today we're doing the who, who we are to love. And the when and the where those are just always in all times and all places. Jesus says it today in the age. Let's pray and we'll wrap up this season in the wilderness. Creator, Christ in spirit. As we wrap up this season of renewal and repentance, this season of reflecting within our hearts, of changing our minds towards the ways of your kingdom and your transcendent love and peace, We simply pray as we do every single week for new eyes with which to see you and the world around us, for new ears with which to hear your word and to hear the words of others. We pray for new hearts that align with the sacred heart of Christ and new hands and feet with which to engage the world with the liturgy of this service as we go out into the liturgy and the service of the week to come. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friends, today we're going to look at one of Jesus' most well-known stories. This is a story that most people, whether been in church circles or not, probably have heard at some level at least the title of this story that we've dubbed and put in the little captions as the parable of the good Samaritan. If you're following along, we're going to be in Luke's writing. That's where we find this parable. Um, and, and I would encourage you to, to follow along or to listen. It's actually either one. It's, it's totally the way that you, this is your time to spend with God, to spend in the Word. And so, uh, but we will be in Luke's writing. Uh, chapter 10, verse 25 is where this story begins. And so we start this um, particular, uh, the, 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 these verses where Luke writes, and 
idu, right? We talk about this often. That's that idu, behold, listen. That's really all that word means. Like, I'm going to tell you something. I'm starting something new. Now listen, right? This is the beginning of something new. He goes, behold, listen. A certain lawyer, one who is learned in OT Mosaic law, stands up to test him, Jesus, and says, teacher, by what can I do so that I will inherit life in the age? And he, Jesus, Jesus says to him, well, what has been written in that Mosaic law? How do you discern it? How do you read it? And in reply, the Old Testament lawyer says, you shall love the Lord your God out of the whole of your heart and in the whole of your soul and in the whole of your strength and in the whole of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, says to him, well, you answer correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, wishing to justify himself in a legal way, says to Jesus, but who is my neighbor? And verse 30, if you're following along, taking this up, Jesus says, a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among brigands or robbers or bandits, who both stripped him of his clothes and inflicted blows, causing traumatic wounds upon him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a certain priest, one who belongs into the temple, was going down the road and seeing him passed by on the opposite side. Likewise, a Levite, right? This is an assistant, a priest's assistant, was also coming upon the place and seeing him passed by on the opposite side. However, a certain Samaritan, who was journeying, came upon him and was inwardly moved with compassion. And approaching, he bound up, he bandaged his traumata, his trauma, his wounds, by pouring olive oil and wine and setting him upon his own beast, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And taken out to Denaria on the following day, he gave them to the keeper of the inn and said, take care of him. And whatever you might spend in addition to this, I will repay you on my return. So which of these three, Jesus says, does it seem to you became a neighbor to the one falling among the brigands, the robbers? And he, the lawyer, says, the one showing mercy, pity, compassion. And Jesus says, go and do the same. Go and do likewise. And so we have a story here today. We, we, we talked about this briefly in our Bible class this morning in a different part of, 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 the, of the Gospels, but where there were these religious rulers, right? There were, there were people who were trying to, either lawyers or Sadducees, Pharisees, lots of different sects of Judaism. These were Hebrew people trying to trick Jesus into saying something that they could use against him in a court of law. Basically, that's what is, 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 is going on here. And this guy stands up. This is a lawyer um, who was very learned in Old Testament Mosaic law, one of the learned scholars in, in, in first century uh, Judaism. And so he comes up and he goes, Jesus, what can I do to inherit life in the age, right? Life in the age is like forever. It's like the life that's been going, that continues to exist, that has no end. 
And then so Jesus says to him, okay, well then will you tell me what's written in the Mosaic law? Like he says, how do you read that? He doesn't really answer his question, yeah? He just basically says, well, what do you think? What do you think it says in there? So this Old Testament lawyer says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the, those are the, those are the pillars of the, of the commands as we read in, in the scriptures and in, and in Jesus. And so Jesus says, okay, then do this and you'll live. But this lawyer still isn't satisfied yet. This lawyer didn't get the answer that he was looking for. And so it says here that the lawyer wishing to justify, he was, this word is like he was trying to have authority, like in a legal way. He was trying to justify himself in a legal way, and he says, well, then who is my neighbor? And here becomes the ultimate question that he's asking. Because now Jesus, again, doesn't quite answer him and say, that guy, that guy, that guy, but not that guy. Jesus instead goes, well, let me tell you a story, okay? Well, in this story, there's a guy that's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Um, so it would have been someone who was a, a Hebrew, a Jew from Jerusalem, uh, and he was making his way to Jericho, to another city. Well, in first century Judaism, in first century uh, you know, Palestine, and, and where all these events are taking place, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to be by yourself on a road. So we, can all, we could do a whole sermon on how this guy wasn't very smart by taking a journey by himself, but it was Jesus' made-up story, so Jesus can make this guy do whatever he wants. So this guy's walking by himself down the road, and of course, we know that the bandits come. They strip him of all his clothes. Uh, they, they beat him until he's nearly half dead, um, and he's just lying there. If nothing happens, he's going to die. That's that, that word, that half dead is like he's on his way to death. Well, so then Jesus uses three people in this story. The first one is a priest. This is the, the, the highest, you know, these are the people who are allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, into the temple. Uh, these are the very religious people. These are the ones who are, you know, they're, they're, they're the strong people of faith. They see this man who's their own, another Jewish person, and this priest goes, whoa, 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 too unclean for me. A lot of rules about what it meant to be clean and unclean. Whoa, 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 too unclean. Walks by on the other side. The Levite, that's an assistant to the priest, he didn't learn very well from his priest, yeah? So he just goes right on the other side. However, a Samaritan is the one who comes and helps him. He's the one who is splanks so my is inwardly moved into his gut, like inwardly moved to compassion to help this guy. And here's what we have to know about this story. The Samaritans were the hated people in according to like Jewish tradition because the Samaritans were the ones who worshipped what they thought were the wrong God. They insisted on worshipping God at the top of Mount Gerizim. That, that, that's where Jacob's well was. That's, that's the ancestors that we're, we're going to follow God onto Mount Gerizim. Where the Jews were, we got to follow God and praise him only in the temple. They were having worship wars of where God was to be found. You'll read another story where Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman at a well, and Jesus will answer the question, where are you to be, where, where are we, this lady goes, where are we to worship? And Jesus goes, right here, right here. He doesn't say the temple or, or Mount Gerizim, but that's another, that's another day. So these people fought each other and they hated each other. Two people who believed in Yahweh, two people who were of descent from, you know, the Torah in the beginning of Genesis, yet they hated each other because they believed in different things. Well, Jesus makes that Samaritan the hero of the story. This guy comes, bandages up his traumata, his wounds, uh, takes him to the inn, pays money for him, and all this kind of stuff. Jesus asked the guy at the end, who was the neighbor then? This is how he answers this question. Who was the neighbor? And the guy has no choice but to answer the one showing him per, uh, mercy, pity, and compassion. So Jesus goes, okay, you want to inherit life in the age? Then go and do the same. 
Go and do the same. I, we, we could take that a couple different ways, right? I mean, like, go and do the same by doing good to those who are in need. Yeah, that's probably the first basic, you know, lesson we can learn here that, yeah, we see someone in need, it's good to, to help someone out. You know, that's, that's a pretty easy one. We even have uh, a phrase for this. Someone's a good Samaritan, yeah. Uh, the second thing, uh, do the same, Jesus is saying, by recognizing that it's the hated Samaritan who is your neighbor, right? We talked about how we, we don't want to acknowledge that that guy's our neighbor, but that, that's a good lesson to learn. But what seems to truly lie at the heart of this parable is really the answer to the question the lawyer was really asking. This lawyer was really asking, if you dig in, what does it mean to be God's people? He's really asking, who's in? Who's out? Who gets a seat at the table? Like, who is the neighbor that you're commanding us to love? You see, this guy's question of who is my neighbor seems like it was designed to trip Jesus up. Remember, this guy's a lawyer, very smart, smart in mosaic legal jargon, and it seems like he was trying to legally prove that Jesus was a heretic, making it easier to get rid of him by bringing up legal charges, simply because Jesus was often speaking of God's bigger plan in loving the whole of the world, not only the Hebrews. That's what this lawyer really was trying to get at. You see, these lawyers and, and a lot of Jesus' contemporaries would have had no problem with Jesus talking about loving their neighbor. That wasn't the problem. But they had a problem with who the neighbor was. As long as the neighbor was one of them, they're totally fine with it. Yeah, love me. I want everyone to love me. Me and my neighbors, we're good. We're good. So their problem was who Jesus wanted them to love. They were good as long as they looked like them, talked like them, believed like them, thought like them. The problem becomes when Jesus' definition of neighbor starts to expand outside of their particular chosen tribe. In a sense, this lawyer was battling Jesus' claim that he had made earlier in John 3.16. This is a very famous verse that, that, that many people know, where he goes, this you see is how much Theos, God, loved the cosmos, the cosmos, the world. Enough to give his one and only son so that everyone who entrusts in him, everyone who believes in him, should not be lost, but should share, and this is the same phrase, in the life of God's new age. It seems as if this lawyer might have heard Jesus say that and not like the fact that he included the cosmos, the world, in who God loved. Because not only does Jesus affirm his claim here in this story we're reading that God's agape love is for the cosmos, but he also explains through this parable that the fulfillment of his great command is happening here in this right loving God and loving others. N.T. Wright says it really a lot better than I'm going to say it. So I'm going to, he's a brilliant uh, author, scholar, pastor. He goes, what is at stake then and now is the question of whether we'll use the God-given revelation of love and grace as a way of boosting our own sense of security and purity or whether we'll see it as a call and challenge to extend that love and grace to the whole of the world, right? For God so loved the world, the cosmo. No church, no Christian can remain content with easy definitions that allow us to watch most of the world lying half dead in the road like the guy in the parable. You see what he's saying here? That the God-like agape transcendent love that we talked about last week, that was, that was Paul's definition of love, is in fact for everyone. And even though the church of Christ often misses the mark of that, right, and we sometimes make the mission more about our own selves and our own enrichment, he's still calling us and imploring us and loves us and gives us the dignity to transform our hearts towards that vision that he has, right, to repent, 
to change our minds, thus changing our hearts. By trusting that this promise in John 3.16 is not simply a promise for our own individual salvation on the other side of eternity, but he's imploring us to truly have faith and to entrust that this love that he has for the world is in fact for the world. That there are no borders, no walls, nothing that can contain this all-encompassing, never-ending, relentless love for his children. Jesus is saying here that our human definitions of what it means to love need to go out the window. He's saying that there's room in Jesus' family for us, right? They wanted it to be for them. But he says there's also room in Jesus' kingdom for those we deem who are not us. This is hard, though, (laughs) as we often give in to the lies of the accuser. Um, Jesus talks about it in a different place, about following him through the the narrow door instead of the wide way, right? Because it's easier. It's the wider way to name the ones that we hate the most. Um, It's easier. It's a wider path to draw a line in the sand, and it's easier to create an us versus them. Yet repenting and changing our minds on who it is we're to love, that's that narrow door, and that changes everything. This may be perhaps the pinnacle aha moment for those who follow Christ when they realize that the litmus test of loving God is loving others, but the litmus test for loving others is how well we can love even those we hate or that hate us. Because it frees us to live in the Christ kingdom more fully. More fully truly knowing that there's always enough room for divine love. I remember when we were doing foster care, and and when we first started to do foster care, some people were like, oh, are you worried that there's not going to be you know, enough love to go around to, you know, people in the family. And another foster parent told us, well, love doesn't divide, it just multiplies, right? And and that's what Jesus is is, is saying here. There is always enough room for divine love. It doesn't get, it's not like now God's love is being divided from these people to these people to these people to these people. It's just there. It's always there. There's room. This is the story. This is the gospel. Sinners, saints alike, there's room for you. I don't, it doesn't matter. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. Does anyone know what song that was? A little Backstreet Boys reference? I don't care. You have a place in this story. And so don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Don't let someone else tell you you don't belong at Christ's table. Don't let someone tell you that you don't belong enfolded into this love of the divine, this agape transcendent love, because God's love simply doesn't care what you think. God's love will not be told what to do. God's love will do what it does. For God so loved the cosmo in the Greek, right, the world that he sent his son. Note that it doesn't say God, you know, so loved you or you, or God so loved the Jewish nation, or God so loved the Samaritans, or God so loved the Lutherans are God, so love the Catholics. No, 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 God loved the cosmos. Jesus was born for the cosmos. Jesus went to the cross for the cosmos, suffered an excruciating death for the cosmos. He entered into hell and back for the cosmos. Jesus rose again for the cosmos, including you, including me, and anyone who may be listening. See, Jesus is simply flipping the script on his head once again. He's inviting us to love with a new and holy imagination. 
to love without borders, without boundaries, and to invite others to the table that is so long that we can't even see the other end. And think about this. How can we expect others to entrust in a God they can't see? How can we expect someone to entrust that a God they can't see loves them if they see a church that can't even stand them or allow them a seat at the table? Or to borrow a phrase I heard from another preacher, uh, is the gospel of Jesus, this good news that God loved the world, the cosmos, is it the good news that you've sunk your heart into for all? Or does there still need to be bad guys in your story to make you feel good? Because my friends, Christ will shatter this false narrative of his gospel each and every time you come into contact with agape love. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite Ethan to come back up. Uh, and as we head into Holy Week next uh, Sunday, we're going to engage a, a, a certain prayer practice that we use uh, often here um, at, at, at Regen. It's a, it's a simple beginning towards cultivating a holy imagination. Um, we're going to do four prayers this morning, one for our neighbor, right? That's where we're starting, one for our family, one for our enemies, and finally for the world. Uh, we utilize this particular prayer practice often, like I said, at Regen. Uh, I looked it up. The last time we did it was Epiphany Sunday, so that was January 6th. Now we're almost into April, so there we go, every two to three months or so. Um, this is a prayer that I try to utilize even often during the week. Um, these, are, these are, again, these are good ways to help us really start to um, go from head to heart when it comes to um, this kind of transcendent agape love that Christ talks about. Um, I'll lead you to simply make yourself comfortable. Uh, you can do it with your eyes open, your eyes closed, um, all that same stuff, and then just simply notice your breath. You don't have to control it. You don't have to seek to uh, change it in any way. Just simply notice that it's there. Remember in the, in the Old Testament scriptures, ruach, wind, Breath, spirit, same word. Numa in the New Testament, wind, breath, spirit, same word. So allow the ruach, allow the numa, allow the, the sacred, holy, set-apart spirit as breath to enter into your body. Notice that it's there. Be present in the moment of the spirit and inhale all that is good, all that is of God. And as you exhale, exhale all that distracts. Continue to breathe. Gracious God, we believe that we are in your presence and that you are loving us. Oh Christ, we believe that at this very moment, that with whatever is going on with our lives, you are in our presence and you are loving us without condition, without restriction, without limit. And so we choose to allow your grace to open our minds and our emotions and our imaginations and our entire being to your love. Please speak, Lord. Your children are listening. Continue to breathe. Continue to be present in the Spirit in this moment. And let's begin by praying for our neighbors, for the people who live in the house or the apartment or the dorm room to the left and the right. Can you picture them? What are their names? Perhaps you don't know their names and your prayer can be that you would go and find out what their names are. What are the names of your actual neighbors, those who live on the left or the right or in the front or the back of you, in your neighborhood? 
and with their faces and their names in mind. Let's pray this simple prayer. God, would you bless my neighbor and bless them wildly? And would you show me how I can be a part of joining that blessing? Let's pray for our neighbors. continue is there someone in your family that could use prayer today and with their face and their name in mind can we pray this simple prayer God would you bless and would you bless them wildly and would you show me how I can be a part of joining that blessing today let's pray for our family Let's continue by doing what Jesus said to do and pray for our enemies. Is there someone in your life, if you are honest, has become your enemy? Someone who you don't like, someone you don't get along with, someone who thinks differently than you, someone who acts differently than you, even someone who may wish you harm. And with their face and name in mind, can we say the prayer, God, would you bless my enemy and would you bless my enemy wildly? And would you show me how I can be a part of joining in the blessing of my enemy? Let's pray for our enemies. Finally, let's pray for our world, for the cosmo in the Greek, for our broken and beautiful and messed up and glorious world. And let's pray that God's will would be done and God's kingdom would come in big ways and in small ways. And that he can show us what we can do with our hands and our feet and our lives to co-labor in bringing this kingdom and to bless this world. And now we pray together. The words of Jesus, our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts just as we forgive those who are indebted to us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.